Good morning. You hear me now? There we go. Good to see you all today. Welcome to worship. Glad you're here with us. A few announcements as we get started. If you would grab your bulletins, take them out. Tear off portion on the back is for guests. If you're a guest, just fill out that blue side, put it in the offering plate as it goes by. And we would love to follow up with you about all that God is doing here at Mechanicsville Baptist. On the other side, the decision side, at the bottom is a place for prayer requests. Anything you'd like us to pray for, just put in there and we'll pray for you uh, each week. On the back are opportunities for the week. I want to make a mention of a few things. And we've got Elf Karen again today. So not yet. Not yet. I'll let you go last. Today, we uh, do have our encounter service at 5 o'clock right here in the sanctuary, youth, the ensemble and choir at 6, and handbells at 7.15. And then this Wednesday is our monthly dinner for Wednesday night. So at 5.30, they'll start serving spaghetti this week, connect groups, Awana, youth, all the midweek Bible study, all that is happening this week. Um... And I think 11 o'clock is on for the midweek Bible study. I'm taking over that one if Tim's not around. So just keep coming. They're all good. And then uh, we did want to make mention we have these big barrels outside the sanctuary here and in the FLC. Oh, do you want to do it? Yeah. You're here. I was going to do it for you. All right. So never mind. We do have these big barrels, though. I will let Faye talk to you about what they mean. Come on up. You know, I did think wrong. Um, there are big barrels out here and in the Family Life Center. They say Nicholsville Mission Trip. And uh, I thought last week, and I looked at the calendar, and how many of you can tell me how many weekends are now between uh, today and the weekend that we leave? Actually, there's five. And I hit a panic button when I realized what needed to be done. But God in his wisdom has told me to take a deep breath that you will help us. Uh, this last week, I determined that, or we were told that we could do lap blankets, and I found a deal, and I ended up filling the trunk of my car with fleece that needs to be cut into one-yard strips and then tied. So, how many of you can handle a pair of scissors? Okay, men, how many of you have a tape measure? Come on, men. So you can measure out 36 inches with your tape measure, right? Okay. And how many of you can tie your shoes? Okay, that's all of the requirements. Um, I need to confirm with the church calendar, but I've been talking with my Sunday school class, and it looks like probably Sunday the 14th. I believe, which is week after next, we may try to get together after the service and we may have a tying and a cutting party, depending on what can get done ahead of time. Uh, the fabric that I bought will make approximately 20 blankets and we will need your help. I'm also going to be working with the mission, uh, music and missions to work on that as well. So I appreciate your help. In the meantime, when you go to the grocery store or to Walmart or whatever, these folks for the nursing home, last year we took so many stuffed animals that they still have an abundance. So they requested that we bring things like Mardi Gras beads. 
I just love to show off a feather boa. So please put one of those in the basket so that when I'm calling bingo, I can wear your feather boa. Um, but they like boas. They like uh, body wash, shampoos, and things like that that you think someone in a skilled nursing facility could use. So I look forward to the blessings that you are going to bring by placing them in those barrels and what that will mean to the folks of Nicholsville. And I thank you for your prayers. There are still places if you want to go, even if you only want to go for a part of the week. Um, there is someone that I've been speaking to that is considered going for a part of the week, so you may be able to buddy up. And it's just a short little five-hour drive, so it's no big deal. I mean, you know, I do it on a regular basis, and it's fun to see what the God, Lord will bring you through the music that you can hear through the various radio stations as you travel. So I look forward and appreciate your prayers and support. And I also look forward to you bringing your little fingers and your scissors on the 14th. And men, I do need tape measures. So please come with your tape measure and your tool belt. Thank you. Merry Christmas. It's Operation Christmas Child Time. Mechanicsville Baptist Church has grown our Operation Christmas Child Shoebox ministry tremendously over the last 11 years. You've wrapped and packed shoeboxes. You've included the requested $9 shipping for each box and prayed for the child receiving your box. About four years ago, some of you came to me with the suggestion that we collect shoebox items all year and pack shoeboxes together. We could have ordered the official red and green shoeboxes from Samaritan's Purse and just pay for their shipping, but reports directly from those on the mission field indicated how much the plastic shoeboxes are used and appreciated. So we felt God directing us to the plastic shoe boxes for the 200 boxes that we've collected for all year. Did you wonder where those boxes came from? Kroger, Kroger agreed to sell them to us at a reduced rate, and two people made donations to cover the cost of the 200 plastic shoe boxes. Then you haul the filled tubs to waiting tables in the Family Life Center. Because you know I've got a tub of balls and a tub of boy toys and a tub of combs and brushes. And you arrange the thousands of items on the tables according to age and gender. And you thoughtfully packed, labeled, and rubber banded each box. Then you added more shoe boxes that you packed at home. And many were regular shoe boxes that you wrapped, and you wrapped the lid separate, and you brought those. We excitedly counted to see if we met our goal. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. 218, 340, 380, 353. But we knew that each shoebox gift was an opportunity to offer a needy child gifts to make their lives a little better, to give them hope, and to give them the opportunity 
to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. We transported the boxes to New Bethesda Baptist Church, who boxed them into official large boxes and tractor trailer hauled them to the warehouses in Charlotte. Each box is inspected by volunteers to make sure that you've not forgotten and included liquids or medications or breakable things. They are again boxed into large shipping boxes and fly, boat, bus, camel their way to the children. And all that costs money. That is the reason for the requested $9 shipping for each shoebox. I trust Samaritan's Purse decision to ask for that $9 contribution to make this huge worldwide endeavor possible. Some folks gave funds in past years to help with the shipping cost of 200 shoeboxes we packed together. This year, we believe that we need to come much closer to the $1,800 requested shipping amount. Now, they're going to ship our shoeboxes anyway, but we want to be faithful in doing the best that we can. So in October, we ask that you contribute toward those shoebox shipping. Please make your donations to Mechanicsville Baptist Church with the notation Operation Christmas Child Shipping, and Jean will put those amounts in a separate account, so then at the end of October, she'll write one big check. Not as much fun as dolls and balls, but very much a part of this mission effort. Want to know how we did last year with this? We had a donation from a local company of $500. Our individual donations were $991. And then our missions development team made up the rest of $309. So we faithfully had our $1,800. So that's what you're bringing this month. So that brings to mind, when is the packing party? Sunday, November the 4th right after the 11 o'clock worship service. Perhaps you'd like to bring a bag lunch to eat before you start packing. There's a job for every age to make that day successful. I hope you can fit this into your busy schedule. And just one more quick thing. You know that the brochure that you'll find in, in the foyer and in the Family Life Center always mentions writing a note to the child, and perhaps including a picture of yourself. How many of you have ever done that? Very good. It doesn't have to be long, just friendly and personal. Perhaps you'd like to write several notes. All you have to do is write one and then keep on copying the, the same thing into further notes. What a difference that would make to bring those notes to our packing party and include them. Please see me if you need ideas on that. May God bless you as you participate in this foreign mission effort that brings Jesus to places in this world that may not be open to him in any other way. Thank you. It's so good to see everyone's smiling faces today, and it's a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So let's stand up. Let's greet each other and have your hymnal ready. 
to hymn 18, and we'll sing that once you've greeted once, one another. Please stand. be seated. Hebrews chapter 4, starting on verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this day. We thank you for the truth that it is, and we pray that this day as we draw into your presence, that you would be glorified and that this service would bring you honor and that you would be praised. We give this to you, and we pray your Holy Spirit dwell in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I ask that you take your hymnals and turn to page 348, ye servants of God. You may not recognize these words, but you'll recognize the tune. So please stand as we sing, ye servants of God. turn in your hymnals to page 113 for our responsive reading. The title is God's Ongoing Grace, the top of page 113. And there are a few different parts here. Leslie will be worship participant. You all read along with worshipers and with the ones that say all. So God's Ongoing Grace, page 113. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. 
It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. The Lord has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. turn to your hymnals to page 353 and we will be singing together I know whom I have believed please stand. standing for our offertory prayer. Good morning. 
um, pray, give, and go. I know we, we kind of finished a focus on Alma Hunt last weekend, but the need doesn't stop. Uh, and I'm just moved to remind everyone, everyone knows, Hurricane Florence, and the work that's being done by Virginians down there right now through the Virginia Baptist disaster response. And so that is one of the areas that our church contributes to within our state missions. And so I just need to mention that again as we are uh, considering the blessings that God has given us and how we can also continue to participate to help those people in North Carolina. Let's pray. Almighty God, you continue to bless our lives in so many ways. When our financial gifts are used to support mission and ministry, we see other people blessed in very tangible ways. Our desire is to place you first in our financial decision-making. May this offering be a time when we do place you first, and we are grateful for the opportunity to support mission and ministry in your name. We pray this prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Let's go to our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day grateful for the grace which has been bestowed upon us as your people. And we pray that you move as you see fit. God, we lift up those who have been in need, those around us who need your grace. God, we pray that we would be your vessels by which your grace is shown and that you would use us to reach those around us. God, we pray for our community. We pray for Mechanicsville. We pray, Lord Jesus, that this community is awakened to the reality of your word, the reality of your grace, and that we at Mechanicsville Baptist would be a light that reflects you in everything we say and in everything we do. We pray for our country. We pray for you to uh, remind us that you're in control because you are. God, in all the things and all the chaos that is uh, seen in the news, we pray beyond and above all things that you are glorified. God, we want to see you at work. We want this country to return to who we are, Lord Jesus, in you, and we want to glorify you. God, as we lift up your name, we trust and we know that lives will be changed. So God, we give you this service. We thank you for the words that have been read. We thank you for the songs that have been sung. And we pray that your holy word would convict and convince us of your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. have lined the narrow street to see this man from Galilee just a carpenter some say leading fools astray yet many kneel to give him praise and in his eyes they glimpse his power that sees the hearts of all men and he knows the father's mind he speaks the father's words for he comes in the name of the There is strength in the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. 
fallen through and when my strength is nearly gone when there's nothing left to do but just depend on you and the power of your And when we call upon your name, your strength through weakness to show, we can know the master's plan, extend the master's hand when we come in the name of the There is strength in the name of the Lord. There is power in the name of the Lord. There is hope in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, his name will be worshipped forever. Creator, Redeemer, and King, there is strength in the name. there is all of that. There is strength and there is power in the name of the Lord. And today, we're going to look into God's Word and see where that strength and where that power comes from and how we receive that power. And uh, if you would have your Bibles with you, definitely open them. You're going to need to follow along with this wonderful passage. We're in 2 Timothy and we're going to be in the first chapter. And 
I am going back to start on verse 2 rather than verse 6, which is in your bulletin, because many parts of what we talk about are expanded in that. So 2 through verse 14, and we're going to read God's word. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity." But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Shared in the first service, um, there is a frightening movement, if you will, where pastors and some mainline churches will say the words, listen for a word from the Lord, and then we'll read a passage. We do not attest to that, because every single word is the word of the Lord. You don't have to discern whether or not something is. It is all God's word. That's really vital when you hear what Paul is trying to say to Timothy, because we have a culture who's trying to pick and choose what words are of the Lord and what are not. This whole book is. And this message today, I pray, comes and convicts us from his word, which is truth, which every word is right, not from myself or, or any kind of persuasion on the efforts of man. God's word stands alone. And the question we're asking is, are we ashamed of the gospel? And it's going to go hand in hand with, are you ashamed with the Bible? And you may say, of course I'm not ashamed with the Bible, but we're going to get into that and see, are we ashamed of the gospel? My main point that everything's going to be supported on is is a couple things that you saw in this passage. One is there is a gift, which is the flame he talks about. The flame is the gift of God, and that we need to keep feeding or fanning that flame. So that's one thing. The second is that gift of the, the flame, what is that gift? It's the unashamed courage to speak openly of Christ, and to suffer for the gospel. So what is that gift? It is the unashamed courage to speak openly of Christ and suffer for the gospel. So everything else we talk about is going to be built around those two points, that flame 
how we feed it, and how we remain courageous to speak openly of Christ. Because those who are unashamed, unashamed will speak courageously. Those who are ashamed will be apologetic and not strong in the word. So everything supports that. We're going to do three things here. First, where did that main point come from? What does Paul do to feed this to Timothy? And what kind of things does he say that we can use from this passage? And I want to start talking about being ashamed. I was in 10th grade. I know, I know clearly a place in which I never want to go back to. I was in my youth group. My parents started the church. They were charter members. I was just starting to become active in this youth group. We had a, a youth pastor, small, small youth group, and we were at his house. And uh, probably because I had grown up in the church and probably because uh, the youth pastor didn't know me too well, he saw me as a leader of this group. So we were doing this exercise. We were in a circle in his living room, and he put a stool in the middle of the circle. And this is, this is just the youth group and youth parents and leaders. And he said, Dwight, why don't you come up and sit in this chair in the middle of the group? And I immediately did not know what I was going to be in for. So my mind started spinning. Why am I on this chair? What kind of things are they going to ask me? In my, and then in my fear, I was like, oh, he's going to start asking me specific. He's going to interrogate me about what I believe. And this was mortifying to a 10th grade guy who wasn't where he needed to be. And so, so he, say, he starts to set it up like, okay, we're going we're gonna to find out if Dwight, what Dwight believes, da 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 And I just panic. I was like, oh, my goodness. And so in my head, and this is probably Satan, in my head, I'm like, how can I get off this stool? How can I get off this stool as fast as humanly possible? And so I'm thinking, okay, what can I do? I don't want to be here. I don't want to answer any of these questions. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I was fearful certainly ashamed. And he comes and he says, okay, Dwight, first question. Are you a Christian? Easiest question that could have been asked. And I was like, here's, here's how I get off this stool. I say the word no, and he's not going to ask me anything else. So I said no. And he dropped his head shook his head, and he said this. He said, get off the stool. Just like that. I'd gone up, and I had just denounced my Savior. I was a Christian. I was not living boldly or courageously. I denounced in front of my own youth group, in front of my youth pastor, who the easiest answer in the world. How far are we from being bold in a culture that is oppositional to Jesus if we struggle in our own church setting sometimes about fears that are unsubstantiated. I think when it gets to the heart of it, I was, I was ashamed. I was ashamed of Jesus, and I was not boldly proclaiming him as I should. And we take that to any context today, workplace, the church, our communities, our internet, social media. How are we ashamed of the gospel? And are we? So, number one starts right here. This gift that had to be given to us because, like Timothy, we're timid and we're weak on our own strength. This is something Paul knew very well about his relationship with Timothy. On his own accord, Timothy needed some, some strengthening because he was, he was a timid guy. We know this. And so he says, God gave you this gift. And in verse 6, he says, for this reason, I remind you, 
He's reminding Timothy to kindle afresh this gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. He, Paul is using flame here. Flame is the imagery that he's choosing to use for this gift that Timothy has received, the gift in which those of us in Christ have in the spirit of Christ. And I think we confuse exactly what a flame is. We have two little flames right here. Uh, heat is, is where he's trying to get to from the flame imagery. He even says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, boil in the spirit. So he gives you the same powerful heat. And a lot of times we think, oh, if somebody has a fever, they're hot. But your hand's not going to burn. Your fingers are not going to be harmed if you touch somebody's head who has a fever. But if you touch a fire, there will be a pain that is induced. You, Timothy, need to fan a flame which is bold and strong and courageous in the gospel. Don't, don't be satisfied with it just being a little bit of a flicker. The flame is an imagery in which we need to see it, that our life in Christ has to be intense and heated up for the gospel, uh, intense with our love for Jesus in a way that is uncompromising. And we know when we're in that intensity, and we know when we're not. And it goes down to how courageous we are. That's the, that's the flame is our courageousness. I uh, love chocolate chip cookies. There was a cookie tray that apparently came out of the oven, set it on the counter, and I was asked, hey, could you move the cookies from here to there? I had not realized that it had already been in the oven, so I was like, sure, and I took my bare hands, and I grabbed the cookie tray, and I've never screamed so loudly in all of my life. I fell to the kitchen floor. The cookies went everywhere. I will never do that again. Ask anyone around me. I will never touch, even if it's not been in the oven, I'm putting on the oven mitts, because I have been burned. When you have had the fire of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, you are not going to be satisfied unless it burns. You're not going to be okay with lukewarm. And I don't think Paul's even really saying that Timothy is being lukewarm here, but he's like, what is in you needs to be fanned. What is in you, this gift of courageousness is going to grow, but you need to feed it. That's the first part under this first line. There's there, he's reminding him to fan into flame, to keep on. It's a present tense here. The, keep on feeding this fire. When you go camping and you have a campfire, you don't just take a few logs, have it burn, and just hope it lasts all night. You have to go. You have to get sticks. You have to go and get more wood. And you have to put it on. And you have to keep feeding a fire in order to keep it aflame. You have to keep giving it air. Paul is saying, Timothy, keep that gift alive in you. Keep it intense, not past tense. Keep it going. He's reminding him, kindle afresh, kindle anew, fan into flame this gift which is in you through the laying on of my hand. So what is this flame? This gift of God. God gave this gift to Timothy, the passion, the fire to stand for Jesus and proclaim the gospel that he must not have had before. If you look back in 1 Timothy, there's a ceremony or a service where the, the, they are laying hands on Timothy, and in that Timothy, he is overwhelmed 
and even Paul's probably referencing moved to tears, as he mentioned early on. It was a monumental moment for Timothy when the Holy Spirit and this gift of courageous came into this timid man of God. And Timothy is told here that it will go out if you don't do something about it. It's an interesting, almost a paradox we get to here. Your fire can go out if you don't feed it. Your fire will die if you don't feed it. It, 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 it is not something that we want to take a chance on not feeding. You need to keep this gift going. So Timothy is, cold, is told to go out, have it fanned into flame, keep that fire going because it is vital for you to be the man of God that you're going to be. And the wonderful extra blessing of this is how the, the fire is fed is grace. It's a gift. The gift of God we give, we, we get from God is a gift. The feeding of the fire is also a gift. It says, I remind you to kindle, kindle afresh the gift of God. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, power, love, and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So we do not need to be ashamed for this gift, and we do not need to be ashamed for feeding this gift because God gives the gift and God gives us the strength to do this gift. It's not our own strength. Paul intends it to happen by the end of verse 8, by the power of God. Leslie saying about there is power in the name of the Lord. The power of God is given by God himself, not by our own. And this is, this is really important as we look at fanning the flame. I think a lot of us think, well, I'm going to keep my fire alive by doing a lot of good things. I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to minister. I'm going to encourage. And it just becomes about you. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to. The power of God is what keeps this flame alive. We have to depend on his power completely, not on our own strength or it's going to die. So he's reminding Timothy that you've been given this gift you need to keep it alive, and the means by which keeping it alive, you need to depend on God to do that for you because you can't keep it alive yourself. It's almost, it's almost like this game where you're just running around in circles trying to figure out, okay, I, I get this gift. It's God's. It's not mine. I keep this gift going, not on my own strength, but on God's. What do I do? And that's, I think, what Paul is trying to make us think here. He is showing us the paradox of the Christian life. We are told to do things only God can do over and over and over in scripture. Do this, but you can't do it. Go here, but you can't go without me. And so the whole message that Timothy is getting here is you need to have this happen. You need to make this happen, but you can't have this happen on your own. It was a gift, and you can't make it happen because God does it through you. And so it's wonderful because it either it makes you like, well, what do I do? Or it makes you completely dependent upon God in all things. Look over chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, still talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're going to get to this part of the, the, the scripture next week as we look at being unashamed, living unashamed. But he says, be strong in grace. And so now you have a fire. This is given by God. You have a, a method by which to keep the fire alive, the power of God, and you have a motivation in the strength that's going to be found in grace. 
Again, grace is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So he keeps going around reminding Timothy, nothing about this is you. It's all about God. Then you look at the first part of chapter 1. Verse 2 starts this way. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The interesting thing about Paul's letters, all 13 of them in the New Testament start out with this type of greeting. In some form, there's no exception, there's a form of grace to you given at the beginning of Paul's letters. They all end with a grace be with you. And a lot of people are like, well, that's just Paul just being, being cordial. He's just saying grace and grace. We don't think so. We think that every word that Paul was giving to Timothy is a word of the Lord and is important. So what Paul is reminding him here at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, be strong in the grace, is of the grace in which he bestowed upon him in verse 2, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace comes to us through a very specific method. And that's what, that's what we all want to know. It's like, what is it, Dwight? Think about this. Paul wrote more than half the New Testament, inspired, holy, filled word of God. Every word God gave is a word of his own making. God wrote the New Testament. This is something we have to understand. God, through, Tim, through Paul here, every one of his books starts with grace. And he knew what would happen to his letters. He would write the letter. What would, they be do- what would be done with the letter? It would be read to where? The churches. They would get the letter. It would be from Timothy, or it would be from Paul. And they'd be like, we have to read this to our congregation, right? They would, he knew every one of his letters was going to be read aloud. And when the word of God was proclaimed, he would start with grace. Because Paul knew inherently Grace is found exclusively in the Word of God. This is a super important thing for us to understand. Even look at verse 13 of chapter 1. Retain the standard of sound words you heard from me. He goes over and over to remind us that grace is the Word of God. Grace is the Word of God. We can live in grace by basing everything in our life on the Word of God. Period. How do I receive grace? It's not by what you do. It's not by how much you do or what you can earn. Your grace is how much you're going to live underneath every word that the Bible says. You are ashamed of Jesus Christ if you're embarrassed by some of the stuff that's in this book. If you're like, oh, this culture won't get some of this. I'll just not talk about it. You're ashamed. God's word is God's word, and we have nothing to be apologetic for for everything that's in this book. We shouldn't be like, oh, but somebody's not going to like it. Who cares? God says it. We believe it. Am I right? We're ashamed. I was ashamed in 10th grade because, boy, I was not living under the word of God like I should have been. When I go out and I'm like, ooh, my friend may not like hearing about this because it's a biblical truth, so I'm just going to, I mean, it's not going to talk about it. I'm ashamed. It's frightening, the fact that the church has become a place oftentimes in which we'll just talk about the things that people like to hear. We don't want to offend somebody, and we'll just keep it safe. Every single word is the word of God. 
Paul is telling Timothy, if you want to be different, if you want to be radically separated from a culture that is against Jesus, you're going to have to take every word that is given to you, and you're going to have to live under that word, and then you're going to have his, his gift of courage. You're going to have everything you need to feed that gift because it's all given in his word. We don't need to go somewhere else to find grace. Grace is given in his word. His spirit makes his word living and active, like we read, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if there's a problem with our situation today, it's that we have changed grace into just do whatever you want to do. Grace is living under the word of God in its fullness. This is what Timothy was getting. This is how Timothy was being motivated to be unashamed. And God chooses his words in the Bible to be grace-filled, fuel to light up the flame of the courage for us to stand for Jesus in a culture. I just have to throw that out. How many times are we ashamed? How many times are we embarrassed by something in here? We need to get over that. Because there's nothing to be ashamed of and there's nothing to be embarrassed about in God's word. Sin and Satan are trying to kill this fire, remember. How he's going to kill this fire? By compromising the word of God. By taking parts of it and not talking about the rest. Boy, the grace of his power is meditating on God's word, his perfect holy word. Power is moved through grace by his word, and this is given to us. What a gift. We have this book. We have this book we can go to anytime we'd like, and we can take and meditate those words and put them in our heart and use them to strengthen us as we go. So quickly, the, the things Paul says for Timothy to do for us, there's three things here. Verse 3, he says, I thank God, whom I serve with clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, that I may be filled with joy, for I am mindful of your sincere faith. Paul says to Timothy, you have sincere faith. You have a flame that needs to be fed, and it's going to be fed on the word of God. He tells us that, and he says, as we notice, as I recalled your tears, we talked about that earlier, probably from when he received this laying on the hands. And the backstory of Timothy is important because... Timothy was timid before this power was given. And so Paul says, I'm recalling your tears. And in verse 2, he says, my beloved son. Speculation on why Timothy may have been timid is he received his faith heritage. He didn't receive his faith. He received his faith from God, but his faith heritage was from who? Grandma and mom. Guess who was not a Christian in Timothy's circle? Dad. And look what Paul calls himself. Timothy, you're my son. I love you. Paul stepped in to remind Timothy what is in you is real, and don't be ashamed that your dad is not a Christian, but I am your spiritual father. Man, that hit home, that hits home to me. We have to pray 
for this same courage for us, and we have to be that to somebody else. We have a generation of young people. I'll pick on the young men right now. We have a bunch of young men who are desperately craving a spiritual father because maybe their earthly father is not that. It's desperate. And if you, as someone who is feeding the flame of courage and strength through the grace of God in his word, if you're strong in the word, you need to be a person who's doing what Paul is doing and be a spiritual father to somebody because these kids today are desperate for it. I had this one young kid, his name was Adam. I loved Adam, I still love Adam. He's an adult with a bunch of kids now. He'd always call me dad by accident in youth group. He's like, I mean, I mean Dwight, dad. It's because his dad wasn't a spiritual father to him. He would accidentally say dad. I'd be like, it's okay, it's okay. Young people are needing spiritual fathers. Now this is not to dismiss the mothers here at all. In fact, he's saying, man, it was so great that grandma and mom were the ones who passed this heritage down. Don't forget that. But there needs to be men who rise up like Paul. There need to be men who rise up and say, I'm going to be strong in the, in the word. I'm going to be strong in grace. And I'm going to be a spiritual father to you because your dad may not be. And it may work in the same way. Your mom might have a, a lack of a, of a heart for Jesus then ladies, you need to step in and be that spiritual mother to those girls or to those people. It's so important. People are hungering for a spiritual father. Paul knew that, and that probably hit home to, to Timothy. He was probably welling up in tears just thinking, Paul's calling me my dad. What a great example. And then he goes on, look at 11 through 14, talks about really what it means to be a spiritual father. For, he's talking about himself here, Paul. For I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher, just like Timothy is being appointed. Verse 12, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I believed. I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul says he's an example. He wrote this from prison, and he says, I suffer, and that might be something embarrassing to you where you're at, but it should not be because that's an example of what it means to be bold and courageous in the Lord. And he gives himself as saying, you don't need to be ashamed because I'm not ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed because I'm not ashamed even if I'm in prison. Even if bad things happen to me, I'm not going to compromise the word of God, Timothy. Even if everything goes wrong in an earthly sense, the word of God is not to be ashamed of. And he says, I am convinced, this is, this is just, we're saying this hymn, I am convinced that God is the one who's able to guard what he's given me. He's going to guard this gift, Timothy, because he's guarded it for me. That's what Paul's saying. He's guarded this gift for me, and Timothy, he'll guard it for you, but you have to trust and be strong in his word to guard and protect your weakness. Back to verse 9 and 10, because he saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. There it is again, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. You can't depend on your own works. Paul's saying he's an example, but he's also saying don't let it be about you. I love superheroes. Maybe it's a weakness. I was a kid who loved Spider-Man, and I read the Spider-Man comic books and loved the stories. The thing about Peter Parker, 
he didn't really know he was a superhero when he was bit by that radioactive spider, did he? He didn't know at first. He started doing things that were abnormal, jumping and sticking to a wall or crushing something with his hands. He started to realize something, didn't he? He had superpowers. God is telling us when we depend on him, you're going to become who you've meant to be all along. If you depend on yourself, you're going to become what you've thought you should be all along. He's saying, I'm convinced that he, whom I believed in, is able to guard and entrust what I've given to him, what he's given to me. He, he is saying, God is able to make me who I am. And in verse 9, he goes back and says, this was granted to you before all eternity. Before time began, God called you to be who you are, strong, bold, unashamed, suffering for the gospel, unafraid. And when you come into terms that that's who God wanted me to be, and it happens, you're like, wow, I'm not the same. How did that happen? Peter Parker, once he became Spider-Man, he couldn't take away those powers. I don't know if that ever happened in the comics or not, but he, he was Spider-Man. He had powers. We have the power of God. We can feed it through the grace given in his word, and then we can ruin the whole thing by taking all the credit for ourselves. God is the one who guards this. God is the one who protects it because his grace is powerful, and he called us before time began to be a particular way in his spirit. And oftentimes, we just settle for the way we are in our flesh. His grace is powerful. It's not in our own righteousness. It's not in our own good deeds. It's not in anything we can do. His grace is powerful. Look at the end of this chapter. Paul says in verse 18, chapter 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Where is Paul's hope coming from? Where is Paul's courage coming from? It's not in himself. The Lord will rescue me from everything. The Lord will bring me to his kingdom, and to him everything is his glory. Are we convinced or are we ashamed? I think, I think we can all ask ourselves that question. How consuming is the word of God in your life? How devoted are we in being in his word as deeply as possible as if our life depended on it, which it does? Or are we like, ah, I got it. I'll put it aside, bring it back when it suits me, when it's convenient. You're ashamed if that's the case. I asked a question in Sunday school. I was like, what activities do you do that you spend more time in than the Word of God? And you know what it came down to? What activities don't? They spend more time in every other activity besides the Word of God. And I'm talking about myself here probably a lot of times. We have to be devoted to this book because this is the grace of God that feeds us the courage and strength in which God can live victoriously through us. And we just put it aside and bring it out when it suits us. If you're ashamed of Christ, it comes down to this book. If you're ashamed of this book, 
you're ashamed of Christ. And we have to change that. It's unacceptable. We need to be people who, when they come to Mechanicsville Baptist or they see us, they're like, man, that group gets it. Everything is about Jesus. Everything's for the glory of God, and everything's about that, that word of God, and they're not ashamed of it. When I come to Mechanicsville Baptist, I'm not worried they're going to hide the stuff that's a little bit uncomfortable. They're going to share it with truth. I like, about, I like that about my upbringing. My parents were not ashamed of this book, and they didn't care if anybody else thought it was outdated or uh, didn't apply. They were like, Dwight, this is where you find your life. And I was one of these sort of strange people where, I talked to Chip earlier, he's like, I carry it with me everywhere I go. Do we do that? And if you can't carry it, is it, is it just radiating out of you because you're being reminded of his word? If we have no need of his grace, if we have no need of his word, we're going to be timid, we're going to be insecure. And I think we are all too often. Here's a quote. The central problem of our age is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending or feeding to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the power of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people, not in the circumstances surrounding them. Everything is answered in this book. Everything in this book gives us what we need to live the life to follow Jesus Christ. And we've just kind of put circumstances around it. And we've kind of apologized for it. Instead, we need to say, we have everything we need to live this life. And let's do it. Let us pray. God, we thank you so, so much that you've given us the gift of your holy word. Without it, we know how lost we would be. And God, forgive us for when we take it for granted. Forgive us for when we set it aside. Forgive us when we're embarrassed about some of the things that is said in your word because some people around us might not like it. God, we are so sorry. That is unacceptable. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of this gift of courage that you've given us in your Holy Spirit. Remind us on how we can feed this fire and fan it into flame through the grace of your word and let us never forget. God, I pray that your word has convicted hearts in this room as your word has convicted me. God, we pray that our response to your word would be of your spirit and that you would do as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing our hymn of invitation, I say this all the time because you have to respond when the Bible is proclaimed. My mom, this is again a little bit of my heritage, my mom, I would walk in on the dinner table and she'd be in tears, and I'd be like, oh, no, what's going on? And she'd be like, I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, I know. She would read the Bible, and it would just overwhelm her. 
She was just emotional that way. When the word of God is proclaimed, we can't leave the same. You have to respond. And man, if you are a person who's, I'm that person, I've, I've, I'm not standing on the grace of the word of God like I should. I'm a little embarrassed by some things in here. If you're that person, man, you need to confess that to God, and God will give you a love for his word, a return to the love for his word. And say, you know, we have nothing to apologize for in here. He'll give you that. If you're a person who's never received that gift of salvation in the first place, that's where it all starts. Timothy couldn't have been strong in the word without this gift of the Holy Spirit coming in to save him. So if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior during this invitation hymn, you need to come forward and pray and receive Christ. I was at a revival service. I know I'm going long. I was at a revival service, and the revival preacher gave a message one time. And in the time of salvation, there's this guy right about back there. He got up, he started walking forward to, to receive Christ, to trust Christ. He stopped about halfway through the aisle, and he noticed nobody else was going. I was over here. He stopped, he looked around, he was like stunned that more people weren't coming front to trust Jesus. He just was sure because God was calling him. He stopped, turned around, it was that moment like, don't go back, man, you know? He stopped and he just, he was a little surprised by everybody, came forward, trusted Jesus, that service. It might just be one person. It might be several of you. It, if God is calling you, you have nothing to be embarrassed about by coming forward. It was during this hymn in which he did that. I've decided to follow Jesus. We have nothing to be ashamed about. And if God is calling you because you feel your flame is almost out, then I pray your response is, God, put me under your word and let me put this flame back where it should be. You can do it, God. Bring me back under your word. Let me live under your truth. So as we sing this hymn, whether you're staying where you are, make that your response. If you need to trust Christ, you come forward and do that because that's where it starts. And if you need to repent of anything in which you've lessened the name of Jesus, this is the time to do that, church. We need to be people under the word. Amen? All right. Lesson.
Amen. Thank you for being here. And I, and I think it's just one of those, I could just read that passage and God's going to speak. That's just that's how, how strongly I believe in the word of God. It's like sometimes we don't have to say anything. And in that song, though none go with me, still I will follow. I think that's a part of our problem. Is we're looking around where, where somebody else is going to lead the way to be bold and courageous and unashamed. And so we don't because you don't see anybody else. If you're that person, you're going to be that spiritual father to somebody else. You're going to be that spiritual mother to somebody else. If you're a person who says, you know what, nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to stand for Jesus in my workplace. I'm going to stand for Jesus in my community. I'm going to stand for Jesus here. I'm going to stand for the word of God wherever I go. If you're that person, that's what Paul's calling us to. That's what God is calling to us in his word, not to be a person who's like, I'm going to look around and see if somebody else will do it, and then I'll do it. He's saying, Timothy, that's going to fail. By the power of God that is in you, fan into flame, kindle afresh this gift through the grace that has been given through the word of God. Amen? Let us have a prayer and we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your holy word. Uh, I thank you that a day like today can remind us of your power and of your provision and of your protection. God, make us stronger, make us more alive and aware of your presence And let us go into this world with the grace that has been so richly bestowed upon us. I thank you for each one here, and I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.